0: Uh, let's pray uh, before we dive in. Father God, thank you uh, for the opportunity that we have to uh, come and meet with each other to worship you. Uh, I often forget what, a, what an awesome privilege that is, that we can know you, that we can worship you. So, Father, right now I ask that you would uh, quiet our hearts, quiet our minds, Help us focus on you. Uh, Meet with us here. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. So Thanksgiving did just happen. Um, Gavin alluded to that earlier. and I was wondering what kind of crowd we were going to have here today. If it was going to be a small one because everybody went places, or if it was going to be a big one. kind of looks like it's uh, an average one. (laughs) So for what that's worth. But... um, that actually gathering for Thanksgiving got me thinking about the different types of, of personalities that we encounter in our families and with, uh, with our friends as well uh, when we get together. Do you ever uh, meet that person or, or know that person? Maybe you are the person with that winning personality. That uh, you, know, you know what type of personality I'm talking about. Right? Like you go in a room... And people were having fun before, but now the party's really started because so-and-so is here. The mood just gets a little cheerier. People are you know, getting a little more lively, all this good stuff. Uh, I have a friend, uh, his name is Jesse. He's very much like this. I mean, just the good times flow when he's there. He's very jovial, laughs, puts you in a good mood, uh, and, and things like this. And then on the flip side, with personality, you got someone who's more like... Ebenezer Scrooge, right? <laughs> Where they come in and maybe you got a little colder in the room. <laughs> People aren't as friendly. People start walking on eggshells because they're just not, I don't want to say the wrong thing. And, and I'm not going to say names of anybody. So don't think I'm going to equate. Let me tell you who's like Ebenezer. No. Because I think from time to time we can all be like this, right? We can, we can get in this mood. But, but someone's presence can, can affect us, right? Um... And it's interesting that I, I find that happening just in my own life, that my personality, just a little bit of how I act and who I am, gets changed by one person coming into a room. That it almost kind of like there's this make-or-break thing, and, and maybe it's them, but, and it only lasts for as long as that person's there, and then when, it, when they leave, it's like I just go back to being regular old Dan. Um, not that that's a bad thing. But it just things, it's like, hey, oh, so-and-so left. Okay, well, let's just have a regular conversation. In a similar way, I think our interactions with Jesus are very much like this. Now, this is the, the last message in our Encounters with Jesus series that we've been going through over the last few years. And... um We've seen a lot of different reactions and a lot of different change. Um, and people always become something when they encounter Jesus. And it's not like that fleeting thing I was talking about. I mean, they change pretty hard in one direction or the other as we look at it. And, and Jesus had a lot of different encounters with people. He had encounters with friends, uh, with his own family, with his disciples, with tax collectors, prostitutes. Uh, the Roman authorities, enemies of the church at one time, lepers, the rich, the poor, outcasts, those people that were considered to be the religious in the, the elite. I mean, he he met with everybody. He encountered every type of person. And so we, we see him with all these different people imaginable, and whether, whether they sought him out, I mean, we saw a couple of Pharisees on their own, come and talk to Jesus, or whether uh, he was seeking them, their lives changed drastically. And they seem to have one, one or two reactions, uh, that, one of two reactions, I should say, that, um, that affects how they, how they act. Uh, looking at it, and I, this is an overgeneralization a little bit, so they either get mad or they get glad. I think I got that from a commercial somewhere. <laughs> but they're never indifferent, right? So they're either mad or they're glad, right? Um, there's not really a middle ground to have with Jesus. Uh, and I find that interesting, especially as we come to today's passage. Um, we're we're going to see this encounter that Jesus has with, uh, with a group of people that we've done a, you know, they've, they've run into him a couple of times, and it's the Pharisees. Uh, I know, it, like we, I think we pretty much every time we talk about the Pharisees, we always say, "Hey, here's who the group of Pharisees was," and I'm going to do that again because maybe there's one person who's like, "I don't know who these people are." I um, Just want to start out by saying that these uh, these guys are the top of the Jewish political and religious party. I mean, like they know their stuff. They know how to politic. They know the law backwards and forwards. They haven't memorized. Anybody have the, the whole of the Bible memorized? I don't either. But uh, we look at these guys, and uh, they were looked up to as role models. Like the Pharisees were, were like, they were it. They were good to, good to be around. Um, I mean, if you hang around church a while, you might hear a phrase, I hope you don't, but you might hear a phrase, man, that guy's acting like a real Pharisee. What a piece of work, Right? In that context, it is a negative thing. But if you would have said that back in the day here, man, what a compliment. Well, thank you. I, I do like to follow the law, and I do like to do everything that it says. It means you were educated. It means you had position, that you had privilege. You knew the law of God back to front. You didn't only know it, but you kept it. Uh, Probably had the commentaries down, too, that people were writing. Pharisees were a big deal, like I was saying, and they could actually make or break a person in that society by their word. Uh, so that's, that's some power, right? So the Pharisees also wanted to be seen, and they wanted to be heard. And here, uh, their encounter with Jesus is no different. Uh, we're going to be looking at uh, Matthew 12, 12. Uh, 1 through 21. And in this passage, there's going to be a lot of of talk on the the Sabbath, uh, the holy day, the day of the Lord, right? So, yes, that is what is being talked about. That's the specific thing. But there is, I think, something larger here that's being talked over, that's being milled through, and we want to look at that. So if you have a Bible... Go ahead and turn there, or if you don't, there's a Bible on the pew and rack in front of you. You can grab it; it's yours to have. And the words will also be on the screen. And what other method do we have? Oh, yes, written in the uh, in the insert in the worship folder for you. So Matthew twelve one through twenty one. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath. And he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? I tell you, Someone greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy. Oh, I missed a verse, sorry. Or have you not read on the law, in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple <clears throat> profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. He went from there and entered their synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they, the Pharisees, asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him? And he said, Which one of you has, who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. The man stretched it out, and it was restored, healthy, just like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him, how they might destroy or kill him. Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there, and many followed him. And he healed them all, and ordered them not to make him known, this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved, and, whom my soul, uh, and with whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench, until he brings justice to victory. And in his name, the Gentiles will hope. Ever feel like you get just a giant steak set down in front of you and someone says, eat that in one bite? I mean, this is huge. And I can't, uh, did you see what I was talking about? I can't help but see that there's something more than just the Sabbath going on here. Just how, how do we observe that? It's as if the Pharisees want Jesus to play ball and he isn't picking up the bat. Hey, Jesus, your disciples are breaking the rules, man. They're picking wheat. They're not supposed to. What are you going to do about it? Uh, and Jesus' response is just beautiful here because it's, not, it's definitely not how I would have come about uh, saying something. Um, I would have said it with a biting tone, and Jesus doesn't do that. He actually shows real love here looking out for the best interest of of the other person, right? <clears throat> He's, uh, he appears to be calm and gentle in his response uh, to some fairly lame tattletaling, if you ask me. I mean, I'm just thinking, well, what are these guys doing out in the field in the first place? Now, this is just my thought. Like, they're hiding behind a tree or something. Ah, gotcha. <laughs> Got nothing better to do on the Sabbath than... Anyway, I oh, <clears throat> won't talk about that. So Jesus is... Uh, His response is, he instructs them. He asks them a question in response to this. He he brings up history. He says, David, and in this he means King David, uh, before he was actually on the throne, when he was running from Saul, entered the temple and ate the bread of the presence. This is the the bread that was set in, in front of God, and then it was there for a while. When they took it away, the priests were the only ones allowed to eat it. And yet David and his companions ate because they were hungry. And God did nothing to, you know, like there was no zap of lightning. There wasn't any punishment for eating that bread. And then he, he brings out more. These guys know the law, right? He, he asks them, well, the priests, when they're doing their duties in the temple, they break the Sabbath law all over the place. They're working in the presence of the Lord. So this is the, the contrast he's bringing. He's, he's saying there's still work to be done on the Sabbath. And he's saying that someone greater than the temple is here. He's referring to himself in this. So he's showing them, in that, in that statement even, I think they may have missed kind of the next part that Jesus said. It, just because in, in my years, if someone were to tell me, hey, Someone greater than the temple is here. How I would have heard that is, there is someone bigger than the biggest thing you know, and they're here right now. And so maybe it, maybe it irked them, but then he, he, uh, he tells them that the Son of Man, again, a reference to himself, is the Lord of the Sabbath. There is authority that is there that he has. I think they they maybe missed that that part where he said, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. The point of the passage simply isn't the Sabbath, but more who has the authority over the Sabbath. And we're going to kind of move through these scenes here. So going to the second scene, um, and these guys were just literally schooled by Jesus, master of the Sabbath, and... uh, the Pharisees want to catch him with some more of these rules. Maybe he will trip him up somewhere. Maybe he just had a really good point right there. So uh, he goes into their synagogue um, to, uh, for the meeting, and uh, they see a, a man who's got a shriveled hand there, and they ask him, hey, is it okay to, to heal a guy on the Sabbath? And they ask him this because tradition dictates that you only help someone if their life is in... Immediate danger, right? So they're like, okay, we got him this time. This guy's been with his hand for years. There's no way that uh, he'll get out of this one. So their traditions are, are hinging here. And Jesus answers again with love. And he answers with another question a small question with just these huge repercussions Would you save one of your sheep if it was in a pit? Well, yeah, it's my sheep. Why wouldn't I save it if it was in a pit? Fantastic. Man is created in the image of God, right? How much more valuable is a man than a sheep? And then to kind of illustrate that, that statement, this man has his hand healed, which I can only imagine was probably the greatest thing that had happened to him years, years. They're like... I I can't even describe it. I I haven't had an affirmity that that great that all of a sudden I have, and I'm like, yes, I'm back to normal. This is great. Thank you, Jesus, and move on. And is their response after hearing this great teaching, this, this wonderful, a man is more valuable than a sheep, so if we'll take a sheep out of the ditch, hey, let's heal this guy. Is their response, oh, man, we've been so blind. Thank you, Jesus, for helping us see. Not at all. They get ticked. They're mad, they're angry, they see red. They want to kill Jesus for healing a man's hand. Does that surprise you? I mean, just, is that like, wow, that, was, that escalated quickly. <laughs> you were just asking him about healing, and he shows you that, he can, you know, that healing can take place on the Sabbath, and, and now you're mad. Why this venomous response after all of this? Hold on to that question, we'll get to it in a minute. So our last scene tells us that uh, Jesus was aware of the murderous intentions, and uh, he left, and many followed him out of the, of the synagogue. He healed the sick, and uh, he told them not to tell anyone. It seems on, if you're just kind of reading, Like that's always seemed weird to me, that Jesus is like, all right, you're healed. Now don't tell anybody about it. Come on. You were sick one day and now you're well and people aren't going to say, well, how'd that happen? I don't know. I was just sitting at home. (laughs) Next thing I know, I could walk. It was great. (laughs) So, But he says this because there's there's a sense of timing that Jesus has in terms of there's a purpose and a reason. So he tells these people, and Matthew lets us in on this prophecy that's in Isaiah, uh, written hundreds of years before. He says that... uh, that this is the servant the Lord has chosen, that his spirit dwells on him. He brings justice to the nations. Um, people won't necessarily hear him yelling in the streets, but uh, it also tells us that this, this servant is gentle and compassionate. He won't break a bruised reed and he won't snuff out an, uh, a wick, uh, he's patient. Isaiah says the nations, the Gentiles, will put their hope in this, guy's, in this servant's name. And that's an awesome statement to be made. These people who follow Jesus out of the synagogue may have actually understood all of that that was happening. It could be that they're just like, oh, he burned the Pharisees. I think this guy's pretty cool. It could have been that. But there may have been those who, who knew, wow, this is, this is what we've been looking for. This is the Messiah. I'm going to follow him. They may have also heard the authority with which Jesus taught before he showed up in their town on the Sabbath. Maybe they heard him talk about how the spiritually bankrupt are actually happy because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That those who mourn over the sins that they've committed, that they know they're guilty, that they will be comforted that those who are, are gentle, meek, will inherit the earth, and those who seek righteousness as though it were food and, and water to live, they will be filled with it. Maybe they've heard some of that. Perhaps they've heard him teach on commandments and how, how much more serious they are than just a, a physical act or a, or a verbal act. The commandments go to the very heart of a man. Not just don't murder, but Jesus says, don't even... If you hate someone in your heart, you've committed murder. That's that's some weight because I think I'm guilty of it every time I drive. (laughs) Or someone wrongs me in a way that you didn't treat me the way I wanted to be treated so I get angry. Or even any other commandment that he, that he laid out that was just, there's so much more to it than just this surface, don't do this act. It's your thought, it's your heart. Maybe they've heard how, how he taught with authority that way. So maybe these guys are, these are, people are very happy to see he's actually explaining what the law means to us and how we can live this and how we can work it out. Maybe that's how we did it. Or maybe that's what they were thinking, rather. I said, encountering Jesus changes people. Either it makes them mad or or it makes them glad. To encounter Jesus made these Pharisees very mad. So mad that they wanted to kill him. Pretty much any time he interacted with them, too. From then on, it was, okay, now we've got a a better way of how we're going to get Jesus dead. Others... Like the crowd in this case, have a positive reaction and, and want to tell others about him, what he's done for them, and seeing just how he's worked in other people's lives. And there's just, there's something real about this. He's not, he's not having me just do stuff to do stuff. So, in, in reading the Bible, you don't ever see really a person or a group of people be very passive. Towards Jesus, some people fall. Rather, people fall on one side or the other. It seems, and the question, uh, one question that I want to answer today, is uh, why is passivity not an option for Jesus? Why can't I be passive in my response to Jesus? Why can't you just take or leave Jesus? Why can't it just be another option in life? Why do you have to choose? I'm going to take just a small little... My cue from Jesus on this one is, uh, I'll just ask a question. Why can't you be passive about eating and drinking? Maybe I won't eat and drink today. Maybe, you know, I don't need sustenance, maybe. It's the same answer. You need food and water to live, right? That's one necessity of life. You can't just, I'm going to stop eating. Things will be good. So that's the short answer there. It's one of those needs. But I think we need to look at the longer answer. How do we get there? Why is Jesus what we need for life? And it's Like I said earlier, not that the Sabbath is the big deal here. The big deal is who has the authority. Because the Pharisees came in with the law. And they said, picking grain and eating it on the Sabbath is unlawful. You shouldn't do that, etc. Can we heal on the Sabbath? Things like that. But it's constantly asking the question, is it up to me? Am I the one who has the authority in my life? Am I the one that gets to make the rules? Do I get to call the shots? The longer answer is, in being passive towards Jesus, you're actually choosing to be your own authority. You're choosing to be your own authority at that point. And if we look at the Pharisees, we see an example of what happens when people look at God and the laws that he gave as simply a person that we maybe want to just please and the rules for how to please him. Does God allow healing on the Sabbath? What type of activities can I engage in? How much activity do I need to engage in before he's pleased or displeased? What type of clothing is acceptable? Who can I hang around? Who can I do business with? How much do I have to give? How much do I get to take? What music do I get to listen to? What radio stations do I listen to? How often do I have to show up at church? What political party is the correct one to choose? Seems uh, my questions have moved from just being questions the Pharisees may have had to more of us here in, the, in 2015. And to be candid, as, uh, as I wrestled with this, I think I, I, I tend personally to fall more in the camp of the Pharisees than I would really like. I actually want to know the answers to most of those questions. <clears throat> I want to know the rules so well <clears throat> Excuse me, that, that people actually look at me and go, wow, Dan's doing really well at following those rules. If anybody's going to get to heaven and it's Dan. Man, I wish I could be like Dan. He's just so awesome. What a rule follower. Mm. <laughs> Believe me, sticking to the rules, and my wife can attest to this too, sticking to the rules is something I can do. I can easily, you give me a list of rules, eh, within reason for whatever, and I will stay within the guidelines because that's what the rules say to do. <clears throat> also, I can point out other people's shortcomings to those same rules pretty easily. Like, hey, you didn't do X. I'm, you know, so I'll be right there with the Pharisees saying, hey, they picked grain. we are not supposed to do that. Also, letting people know the right way of doing any task. I'm really good at that too. Honestly, I think it's the reason Cindy married me. No, it's not. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. It was for my good looks. But I do, as I look at myself, seriously, I look at myself and I see this within me, that I'm very much uh, a legalist in that sense, right? I like to follow these rules. When I see someone or some event happening that is because God, God's rules weren't followed or whatever. I just want to say, God, look at them. Look what they're doing. They're doing it wrong. You have to show them. You have to, you have to punish them or whatever. You have to get these guys corrected. I'm doing okay, by the way, so don't, don't put me in that group, but punish them. <clears throat> oh, and the whole Sabbath thing, God? You know, I know it's a day of rest, but I'm not going to do anything except what I find relaxing. So if my neighbor needs help, I don't find that relaxing. So you told me to rest, so I'm going to have a day of rest. This is the attitude I find in myself, and this is kind of the attitude that I see the, the Pharisees wrestling with. It's these following traditions. This is what we've always done. This is how we've done it. This is status quo. And they're trying to keep up this experience the, the, uh, the presentation trying to keep up this appearance of, of being holy rather than knowing the creator of the universe. So when Jesus says something like, if you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. See, really, you didn't see him condemning the uh, the priests doing work in the temple, but uh, those working outside, they were quick to condemn. So, in all of this, if if like me, that i like, reading that and you know just praying through stuff and finding out that that's that was in me that I I enjoy the rules and I want to follow the rules and I want others to be. You know who are rule breakers to have their just desserts, if that hits you and it stings you and you're like, oh, that's me too, wrestle with that. Wrestle with that. That is a tension. Because God has not called us to be rule keepers. That is not why he, he calls us into relationship at all. Don't ignore it. Don't get mad at God like the Pharisees did and and storm out in a huff. That's the Spirit working in your life, trying to pull you to God to help you see you break rules too. It's not about the rules. try and understand what God means when he says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. So we look at the crowds uh, and even Jesus' disciples and see people who want to know. And I'm talking, I mean, really want to know God. They want to know the Father. And they, they've heard Jesus speak with authority. And uh, th- that Jesus has this something that I'm seeking, that I'm looking for. They've experienced the love of God in a a way that they've only heard heard about when they went to the synagogue and, and heard teachings from the scriptures. Oh, God loved them back then, but I don't know about today. But no, they've really felt love when Jesus was around. They've experienced it the way that Isaiah has described it. Here is my servant whom I have chosen. I will put my spirit on him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations. In his name, the nations will put their hope. Like I said earlier, that scripture also talks about Jesus' gentleness and mercy. They know they've broken the law. They know they should not be allowed to be near, let alone speak with God at all. They know they, they need mercy. And talking at them, you know, this is the wrestling match I have. <laughs> I know that because of the sin I've committed, I should not be allowed near to God, that I should not be able to speak with God. And so it is an amazing privilege once, uh, well, not once, but uh, the fact that God wants to be in relationship with us still that he's done all these things, that uh, his son came and died for us. It's not really, you don't want to ask those questions. It doesn't feel necessary to ask all those questions of, hey, how far is too far? You know, what's, what's that line that I can get up to uh, before it's, it's sin or anything like that? The rules at that point kind of don't, they don't hold the same weight and, you know, Jesus comes in and he says, um, there's great news. Yes, lawbreakers <laughs> abound on this planet. But uh, God wants you to draw near. And the good news is that uh, he's merciful with his people. He's provided a way. And, I, you know, like I said, I don't want to give spoilers out on the whole, like, Christmas season is coming. I'm pretty sure, safe bet, we're going to be talking about the birth of Christ pretty soon. Right? Um." The spoiler here is he dies for us. For sins that he did not commit. For for being wrongly accused. He's put to death. And he also fulfilled the whole of the law for us. And he rose from the dead. That is the best part to me. um, That yes, he died, but he also rose and conquered death. So I don't have to fear that. And his disciples... You know, in time, I mean, we're here at chapter 12 of Matthew, but in time, they, they, this is revealed to them. They experience this firsthand, that Jesus is dead, but now he's alive. And what does it mean living with the Spirit and everything? So uh, his disciples would have had this, you know, revealed in time. And, and they actually wrote books and letters and things, and we have that in our New Testament. And they would share things like Romans, like Paul does in Romans 7, where he says this, this is actually... Uh, the last part of chapter 7, first part of chapter 8, he says this. He's talking about um, the law just bearing down on him, and he sees this war within himself. It's like, <laughs> that's probably one of the most confusing sentences in the English language. Of He wants to do good, but he finds himself doing bad all the time. right? So he comes to this conclusion. conclusion Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh, with my sinful self, I serve the law of sin. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by flesh, could not do. That is, he has redeemed us to himself. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk, according, who walk not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. Bad news, guys. Sin separates us from God. And there's nothing that we can do in and of ourselves to do that. I could, I, could be the, I could be the best rule follower in the world and still miss it. The good news is what Paul here, Paul was a Pharisee too, so this is great. Even some Pharisees were saved. It's fantastic. He points out that the good news is, is that God has provided a way through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ that we can draw near to him. Through his blood, we are made right. It is a gift that's been given to us. And it's a pretty big gift. So in, in, I have to ask myself the question Am I putting all of my, my hope and security in my own authority and, and doing all those right things and in, in, uh, in how well I act, or am I putting my security in, in the authority that, that Christ has? that I get to to have that relationship with God. So, with Christ having done all of this, the the question still gets asked, or rather, uh, we don't have a reason to ask the question, do, do we get to be passive in my attitude towards him? It actually makes us ask the question, well, great, How do I have an active attitude towards Jesus? How do I have an active attitude towards Jesus? Two answers. First, I'm going to make this personal for me. I need to choose. I need to choose. Whose authority am I going to listen to? Do I listen to my own authority? Do I listen to just some other man's authority? Because you know, maybe they got some good things to say. Do I follow that authority? Or do I follow the authority on one who created the heavens and the earth, who knows the inner workings? So in this choice, this is more the, the choice of I can't, I can't make my sin right before God. I'm choosing to let Jesus pay the price for me and rely fully on what he says, what he taught, the the prophecies that he fulfilled, everything that way. This is the choice I'm making to put all of my hope in him. So that's what I have to choose. That's that first choice. Number two, I have to choose. Putting our hope and our trust in Christ and for everything that he's done, you, you are saved from the fires of hell with that. like that's He's rescuing you to God even, so you are saved to God, not just from hell. But I say on the second one, you have to choose because I can still wake up, and believe me, I can still wake up and choose not to listen to what Jesus has to say. I can choose to hate my enemies. I can choose not to pray for them. On the flip side, I can choose to do what Jesus said. I can love my enemies. I can pray for those who persecute me. I can honor Christ in doing these things. I can love my neighbor. And Cindy gave some fantastic first steps and I know we're we're working towards this uh, this missional lifestyle of not just hey missionaries are out there we're here in our community what are we doing I can choose to follow Christ that way by simply walking across the street getting my mail saying hi to my neighbors finding out their name I think um, personally that was one of the the, the best things that Cindy and I had done just in getting to know our neighbors is finding out their name because that can be a tough thing. But on the on the other side, I like it when someone knows my name. When I'm going down to get my mail and my neighbor John says, "Hey Dan, how's it going?" He's talking to me. It's not the dude on the other side. It's not the, you know the guy across the street from him. It's me that he's talking to. So I can I can be in relationship and love him there. So. We are not called to just be passive towards Jesus and how he taught and the actions that he did and everything like that. We have to be active in our response to that. We have the opportunity to encounter Jesus every day. And during that time, we do have the, uh, the choice on how we're going to react to that. We can be mad at what Jesus has to say and go, I'm not going to do that. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Or we can be glad that we actually get to be a part of the work that he is doing in reaching the world and loving people. We can be glad that he's here to free us from rules that are just performance-based, that he wants to deal not with merely how we act, but with how our heart groans how it how it beats and everything that way life and death actually hang in the balance being passive in this matter towards Jesus is choosing death however pursuing Christ is pursuing life having that relationship let's pray Father, I thank you for the love that you have for your people, for the love you have for all of humanity, that you would still pursue us and want to have a relationship with us even though we've just rebelled fully against you. We thank you that you have given us mercy, that you are a God of mercy, that you don't just require sacrifice and just merely outward show of, look, I'm religious, Father, but you, you want us to know you, to love you. Father, I pray for um, those here who may not know you, that uh, you would use your spirit, work in them, Convict sin that needs to be convicted, Father, let joy come out in knowing that you can forgive that sin because of work, the work Jesus did on the cross and paying the penalty for that. Father, help us to not have just encountered you today and go, eh, that's nice. But Father, help us to, see, to taste and see that you are good. That your mercy is new every morning. That you desire that we know you better. Father, I pray for those who have known you for years and have grown comfortable with that. I pray that you would shake us up. That you would help us not be so familiar that we forget how holy and awesome you are and that we can worship you fully just knowing how how much you've done for us Father I just pray as we continue the time here that our eyes would continue to be focused on you and that you would lead us from this place in the power of your spirit pray all this in your son Jesus' name Amen.